0: Chapter 19 of The Last Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti MikeVendetti.com The Last Trail by Zane Grey. Chapter 19. A dense white fog rose from the river, obscuring all objects. When the bordermen rolled out of their snug bed of leaves. The air was cool and bracing, faintly fragrant with drying foliage and the damp, dewy luxuriance of the ripened season. Wetzel pulled from under the protecting ledge a bundle of bark and sticks he had put there to keep dry and built the fire, while Jonathan, fashioning a cup from a green fruit resembling a gourd, filling it at a spring nearby. "'Lou, there's a frosty nip in the water this morning,' said Jonathan i reckon it's getting along into fall now any clear? still night'll fetch all the leaves and strip the trees bare as burned timber answered wetzel brushing the ashes off the strip of meat he had roasted get a stick and help me cook the rest of this chunk of bison the sun'll be an hour breaking up that mist and we can't clear out till then maybe we won't have no chance to light another fire soon with these bordermen everything pertaining to their lonely lives from the lighting of a fire to the trailing of a redskin was singularly serious no gladsome song ever came from their lips there was no jollity around their campfire hunters had their moments of rapturous delight bordermen knew the peace the content of the wilderness but their pursuits racked nerve and heart wetzel had his moments of frenzied joy but they passed with the echo of his vengeful yell. Jonathan's happiness, such as it was, had been to roam the forests that, before a woman's eyes had dispelled it, had been enough, and compensated him for the gloomy, bloody phantoms which haunted him. The bordermen, having partaken of the frugal breakfast, stowed in their spacious pockets all the meat that was left, and were ready for the day's march. They sat silent for a time, waiting for the mist to lift. It broke in places, rolled in huge billows, sailed aloft like great white clouds, and again hung tenaciously to the river and the plain. Away in the west blue patches of sky shone through the rifts, and eastward banks of misty vapor reddened beneath the rising sun. Suddenly from beneath the silver edge of the rising pall the sun burst, gleaming gold, disclosing the winding valley with its steaming river. "'We'll make upstream for two islands, "'and cross there if so be we've reason,' "'Wetzel had said. "'Through the dewy dells, "'avoiding the wet grass and bushes, "'along the dark, damp glades with their yellow carpets, "'under the thinning arches of the trees, "'down the gentle slopes of the ridges, "'rich with green moss, "'the bordermen glided like gray shadows. "'The forest was yet asleep. "'A squirrel frisked up an oak and barked quarrelsomely, at these strange noiseless visitors a crow cawed from somewhere overhead these were the only sounds disturbing the quiet early hour as the borderman advanced the woods lightened and awoke to life and joy birds sang trilled warbled and whistled their plaintive songs peculiar to the dying season and in harmony with the glory of the earth birds that in earlier seasons would have screeched and fought now sang And fluttered side by side in fraternal parade on their slow pilgrimage to the far south. Bad time for us when the birds are so tame and chipper. We can't put faith in them these days, says Wetzel. Seems like they never was wild. I can tell, cept at this season, by the way they whistle and act in the woods. If there's been any engines along the trails, the greater part of the morning passed thus, with the bordermen steadily traversing the forest here through a spare and gloomy wood blasted by fire worn by age with many a dethroned monarch of bygone times rotting to punk and duff under the ferns with many a dark seamed and ragged king still standing but gray and bald of head and almost ready to take its place in the forest of the past there through a maze of young saplings where each ash maple hickory and oak added some new beautiful hue to the riot of color I just had a glimpse of the lower island as we passed an opening in the thicket, said Jonathan. We ain't far away, replied Wetzel. The bordermen walked less rapidly in order to proceed with more watchfulness. Every rod or two they stopped to listen. You think Leggett's across the river? asked Jonathan. He was two days back and had his gang with him. He's up to some bad work. But I can't make out what. One thing i never seen his trail so near fort henry they merged at length into a more open forest which skirted the river at a point still some distance ahead but plainly in sight two small islands rose out of the water what's that whispered wessel slipping his hand in jonathan's arm a hundred yards beyond lay a long dark figure stretched at full length under one of the trees close to the bank looks like a man said jonathan You've hit the mark. Take a good peep round now, Jack, for we're coming somewhere near the trail we want." Minutes passed while the patient bordermen searched the forest with their eyes, seeking out every tree within rifle range, or surveyed the level glades, scrutinized the hollows, and bent piercing eyes upon the patches of ferns. "'If there's a redskin around, he ain't big enough to hold a gun,' said Wetzel, moving forward again yet still with that same stealthy step and keen caution. Finally, they were gazing down upon the object which had attracted Wetzel's attention. "'Will Shepherd," cried Jonathan. "'Is he dead?' "'What's this mean?' Wetzel leaned over the prostrate lad, and then quickly turned to his companion. "'Get some water. Take his cap. No?' HE AIN'T EVEN HURT BAD UNLESS HE'S GOT SOME WOUND AS DON'T SHOW. JONATHAN RETURNED WITH THE WATER, AND WETZEL BATHED THE BLOODY FACE. WHEN THE GASH ON WILL'S FOREHEAD WAS CLEAN, IT TOLD THE BORDERMAN MUCH. NOT AN HOUR OLD, THAT BLOW, MUTTERED WETZEL. HE'S COMING TOO, SAID JONATHAN, AS THE LAD STIRRED UNEASILY AND MOANED. PRESENTLY THE LAD OPENED HIS EYES AND SAT BOLT UPRIGHT. HE LOOKED BEWILDERED FOR A MOMENT and felt of his head while gazing vaguely at the borderman suddenly he cried i remember we were captured brought here and i was struck down by that villain case we who was with you asked jonathan slowly helen we came after flowers and leaves while in full sight of the fort i saw an indian we hurried back he cried and proceeded with broken panting voice to tell his story Jonathan Zane leapt to his feet with face deadly white and eyes blue-black like burning stars. Jack, study the trail while I get the lad across the river and steered for home, said Wetzel, and then he asked Will if he could swim. Yes, but you will find a canoe there in those willows. Come, lad, we've no time to spare, added Wetzel, sliding down the bank and entering the willows he came out almost immediately with the canoe which he launched will turned that he might make a parting appeal to jonathan to save helen but could not speak the expression on the borderman's face frightened him motionless and erect jonathan stood his arms folded and his white stern face distorted with the agony of remorse fear and anguish which even as will gazed froze into an awful deadly look of fateful purpose wetzel pushed the canoe off and paddled with powerful strokes he left will on the opposite bank and returned as swiftly as he could propel the light craft the bordermen met each other's glance and had little need of words wetzel's great shoulders began to sag slightly and his head lowered as his eyes sought the grass a dark and gloomy shade overcast his features thus he passed from borderman to death-wind the saw of the wind overhead among the almost naked branches might well have warned indians and renegades that death-wind was on the trail brant's had a hand in this and the englishman's a fool says wetzel an hour ahead can we come up with them before they join brant and Leggett? We can drive, but like as not, we'll fail. Legget's gang is thirteen strong by now. I said it. Something told me. A long trail, a hard trail, and our last trail. It's over thirty miles to Legget's camp. We know the woods and every stream and every cover, hissed Jonathan Zane. With no further words, Westall took the trail on the run, and so plain was it to his keen eyes, that he did not relax the steady lope except to stop and listen at regular intervals jonathan followed with easy swing through the forest and meadow over hill and valley they ran fleet and tireless once with unerring instinct they abruptly left the broad trail and cut far across a wide rugged ridge to come upon the tracks of the marching band then in open country they reduced their speed to a walk ahead. In a narrow valley rose a thicket of willows, yellow in the sunlight, and impenetrable to human vision. Like huge snakes, the bordermen crept into this cope, over the sand, until the low branches, hard on the trail, finally in a light, open space, where the sun shone through the network of yellow branches and foliage. Wetzel's hand was laid upon Jonathan's shoulder. Listen, hear that, he whispered jonathan heard the flapping of wings and a low hissing sound not unlike that made by a goose buzzards he said with a dark grim smile maybe brand has begun her work come out into the open they crawled to put to flight a flock of huge black birds with grisly naked necks hooked beaks and long yellow claws upon the green grass lay three half-naked men ghastly bloody in terrible limp and lifeless positions Metzer's man smith jinx the outlaw and Mordaunt, jonathan zane gazed darkly into the steely sightless eyes of the traitor death's awful calm had set the expression but the man's whole life was there its better part sadly shining forth among the cruel shadows his body was mutilated in a frightful manner cuts stabs and slashes told the tale of a long encounter brought to an end by one clean stroke come here lou you've seen men chopped up but look at this dead englishman called zane mordaunt lay weltering in a crimson tide strangely though his face was uninjured a black bruise showed under his fair hair the ghost of a smile seemed to hover around his set lips yet almost intangible though it was it showed that at last he had died a man his left shoulder side and arm short with the brunt of brant's attack had fallen how'd he ever fight so mused jonathan you never can tell replied wetzel maybe he killed this other feller too but i reckon not come we must go slow now for legget is near at hand Jonathan brought huge, flat stones from the brook and laid them over Mordaunt. Then, cautiously, he left the glade on Wetzel's trail. Five hundred yards further on, Wetzel had ceased following the outlaw's tracks to cross the creek and climb a ridge. He was beginning his favorite trick of making a wide detour. Jonathan hurried forward, feeling he was safe from observation. Soon he distinguished the tall, brown figure of his comrade gliding ahead from tree to tree, from bush to bush. "'See them maples? Chestnuts down there?' said Wetzel, when Jonathan had come up, pointing through an opening in the foliage. They've stopped for some reason. On through the forest the bordermen glided. They kept near the summit on the ridge, under the best cover they could find, and passed swiftly over the half-circle then beginning once more to draw toward the open grove in the valley they saw a long irregular cliff densely wooded they swerved a little and made for this excellent covert they crawled the last hundred yards and never shook a fern moved a leaf or broke a twig having reached the break of the low precipice they saw the grassy meadow below the straggling trees the brook the group of indians crowding around the white men see that point of rock there that's better cover whispered wetzel patiently with no hurry or excitement they slowly made their difficult way among the rocks and ferns to the vantage point desired taking a position like this one the bordermen strongly favored they could see everywhere in front and had the thick woods at their back what are they up to whispered jonathan as he and wetzel lay close together under a mass of grapevine Still tenacious of its broad leaves. Dyson answered Wetzel, "I can see him throw. Anyways, nothing but betting ever makes Redskins act like that." Who's playing? Where's Brant? I can make out Leggett, See, Shaggy Head. The other must be Case. Brant ain't in sight. Nursin' a hurt, perhaps. Ah, see there, over under the big creaky stands, dark like in the thicket. That's an Injun and he looks too quiet and keen to suit me. We'll have a care of him. Must be playin' for Mordaunt's gold. Like as not, for where'd them ruffians get any sip, They stole it. Ah, they're getting up. See Legget walk away, shaking his big head? He's mad. Maybe he'll be madder presently, growled Jonathan. Case is left alone. He's counting his winnings. Jack, look out for more work took off our hands by gum see that injun knock up a level rifle i told you and that redskin has his suspicions he's seen us down along their ridge there's helen sitting behind the biggest tree that engine guard afore he moved kept us from seeing her jonathan made no answer to this but his breath literally hissed through his clenched teeth there goes the other outlaw whispered wetzel as if his comrade could not see. It's all up with Case, see that sneak bendin' down the bank? Now that's a poor way. it had better be done from the front, walking up natural-like instead of trying to cover that wide stretch. Case see him, hear him sure. There, he's up now, and crawlin'. He's too slow, too slow. I-, I knew it! Case turns, look at the outlaw spring. Did you see that little cuss whoop his knife? "'one more less for us to quiet. "'That makes four, Jack, and maybe soon it'll be 5 "'They're holding the council,' said Jonathan. "'I see two engines sneaking off into the woods, "'and here comes that guard. "'He's a keen redskin, Jack, "'for we did come light through the brush. "'Maybe it'd be well to stop his scouting.' "'Lou, that villain case is bullying Helen,' cried Jonathan. Shh. Whispered Wetzel, "See, he's pulled her to her feet. Oh, he struck her. Oh, Jonathan leveled his rifle and would have fired, but for the iron grasp on his wrists. If you lost your senses, it's full two hundred paces and too far for your piece," said Wetzel in a whisper. "And it ain't sense to try from here. Lemme your gun. Lemme your gun." Silently, Wetzel handled him the long black rifle jonathan raised it but trembled so violently that the barrel wavered like a leaf in a breeze take it i can't cover him groaned jonathan this is new to me i ain't myself god lou he struck her again again he's trying to kiss her retzel if you're my friend kill him jack it'd be better to wait and i love her breathed jonathan the long black barrel swept up to a level and stopped White smoke belched from among the green leaves. The report rang throughout the forest. Ah! I saw him stop and pause. Hissed Jonathan. He stands. He sways. He falls. Death for
1: yours, you sailor beast. End of Chapter Nineteen. Chapter Twenty of The Last Trail. This is a LibriVox recording.
0: All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, mikevendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray Chapter 20 The borderman watched Leggett and his band disappear into the thicket adjoining the grove. When the last dark lithe form glided out of sight among the yellowing copse, Jonathan leapt from the low cliff and had hardly reached the ground before Wetzel dashed down to the grassy turf. Again they followed the outlaw's trail, darker-faced, fiercer visaged than ever, with cocked, tightly-gripped rifles thrust well before them, and light feet that scarcely brushed the leaves. Wetzel halted after a long tramp up and down the ridges, and surveyed with keen intent the lay of the land ahead. "'Sooner or later we'll hear from that redskin "'as discovered us a ways back,' whispered he. "'I wish we might get a crack at him before he hinders us bad. "'I ain't seen many keener engines. "'It's lucky we fixed their arrow-shooting Shawnee. "'We'd never have beat that combination, "'and for all of that I'm worrying some about the going ahead.' "'Ambush?' Jonathan asked. "'Like as not.' Leggett'll send that engine back and maybe more'n him, Jack. See them little footprints? They're Helen's. Look how she's dragging along, almost tuckered out. Leggett can't travel many more miles today. He'll make a stand somewheres and lose all his redskins before he gives up the lass. I'll never live through tonight with her and that gang. She'll be saved or dead before the stars pale in the light of the moon." "'I reckon we're nigh the end for some of us. "'It'll be moonlight in an hour after dusk, "'and now it's only the middle of the afternoon. "'We've time enough for anything. "'Now, Jack, let's not tackle the trail straight. "'We'll split and go round and head off. "'See that dead white oak standin' high over there?' "'Jonathan looked out between the spreading branches of a beech and saw far over a low meadow, luxuriant with grasses and rushes, and bright with sparkling ponds and streams, the dense wood out of which towered a bare, bleached treetop. You slip around along the right side of this meadow, and I'll take the left side. Go slow, and have your eyes open. We'll meet under that big, dead tree. I allow we can see it from anywhere around. We'll leave the trail here and take it up further on. Leggett's going straight for his camp. He ain't losing an inch. He wants to get in that rocky hole of his'n. Wetzel stepped off the trail, glided into the woods, and vanished. Jonathan turned to the right, traversed the summit of the ridge, softly traveled down the slope, and, after crossing a slow, eddying, quiet stream, gained the edge of the forest on that side of the swamp. A fringe of briars and prickly thorns bordered this wood, affording an excellent cover. On the right the land rose rather abruptly. He saw that by walking up a few paces he could command a view of the entire swamp, as well as the ridge beyond, which contained Wetzel, and probably the outlaw, and his band. Remembering his comrade's admonition, Jonathan curbed his unusual impatience and moved slowly, The wind swayed the treetops and rustled the fallen leaves. Birds sang as if thinking the warm, soft weather was summer come again. Squirrels dropped heavy nuts that cracked on the limbs or fell with a thud to the ground. And they scampered over the dry earth, scratching up the leaves as they barked and scolded. Crows cawed clamorously after a hawk that had darted under the treetops to escape them deer loped swiftly up the hill and a lordly elk rose from a wallow in a grassy swamp crashing into the thicket when two-thirds around his oval plain which was a mile long and perhaps one-fourth as wide jonathan ascended the hill to make a survey the grass waved bright brown and golden in the sunshine swished in the wind and swept like a choppy sea to the opposite ridge the hill was not densely wooded in many places. The red-brown foliage opened upon irregular patches, some black as if having been burned over, others showing the yellow and purple colors of the low thickets and the gray, barren stones. Suddenly, Jonathan saw something darken one of those sunlit plots. It might have been a deer. He studied the rolling, rounded tree-tops, the narrow strips between the black trunks and the open places that were clear in the sunshine. He had nearly come to believe he had seen a small animal or bird flit across the white of the sky far in the background, when he distinctly saw a dark figure stealing along past a green-gray rock, only to disappear under colored banks of foliage. Presently, lower down, they reappeared and crossed an open patch of yellow fern. Jonathan counted them. two were rather yellow in color. The hue of buckskin, another slight of stature as compared with the first, and light gray by contrast. Then six black, slender gliding forms crossed the space. Jonathan then lost sight of them, and did not get another glimpse. He knew them to be Legget and his band. The slight figure was Helen. Jonathan broke into a run, completed the circle around the swamp, and slowed into a walk when approaching the big dead tree where he was to wait for wetzel Several rods beyond the lowland he came to a wood of white oaks all giants rugged and old with scarcely a sapling intermingled with them although he could not see the objective point he knew from his accurate sense of distance that he was near it as he entered the wood he swept its whole length and width with his eyes he darted forward twenty paces to halt suddenly behind a tree he knew full well that a sharply moving object was more difficult to see in the woods than one stationary again he ran fleet and light a few paces ahead to take up a position as before behind a tree thus he traversed the forest on the other side he found the dead oak of which Wetzel had spoken his trunk was hollow jonathan squeezed himself into the blackened space with his head in a favorable position behind a projecting knot where he could see what might occur near at hand he waited for what seemed to him a long while during which he neither saw nor heard anything and then suddenly the report of a rifle rang out a single piercing scream followed hardly had the echo ceased when three hollow reports distinctly different in tone from the first could be heard from the same direction in quick succession short fierce yells attended, rather than succeeded the reports. Jonathan stepped out of the hiding-place, cocked his rifle, and fixed a sharp eye on the ridge before him whence those startling cries had come. The first rifle shot, unlike any other in its short, spiteful sting quality, was unmistakably Wetzel's. Zane had heard it, followed many times as now by the wild death-cry of a savage. The other reports were of Indian guns, and the yells were the clamoring exultant cries of indians in pursuit far down where the open forest met the gloom of the thickets a brown figure flashed across the yellow ground darting among the trees across the glades it moved so swiftly that jonathan knew it was wetzel in another instant a chorus of yelps resounded from the foliage and three savages burst through the thicket almost at right angles with the fleeing borderman running to intercept him the borderman did not swerve from his course but came on straight toward the dead tree with the wonderful fleetness that so often had served him well even in that moment jonathan thought of what desperate chances his comrade had taken THE TRICK WAS PLAIN. WETZEL HAD MOST LIKELY SHOT THE DANGEROUS SCOUT, AND TICKING TO HIS HEELS, RACED PAST THE OTHERS, TRUSTING TO HIS SPEED AND THEIR POOR MARKSMANSHIP TO ESCAPE FOR THE WHOLE SKIN. WHEN WITHIN A HUNDRED YARDS OF THE OAK, WETZEL'S STRENGTH APPARENTLY GAVE OUT, HIS SPEED DESERTED HIM. HE RAN AWKWARDLY AND LIMPED. THE SAVAGES BURST OUT INTO FULL CRY LIKE A PACK OF HUNGRY WOLVES. They had already emptied their rifles at him, and now, supposing one of the shots had taken effect, redoubled their efforts, making the forest ring with their short, savage yells. One gaunt, dark-bodied Indian, with a long, powerful, springy stride, easily distanced his companions, and evidently sure of gaining the coveted scalp of the borderman, rapidly closed the gap between them as he swung aloft his tomahawk, yelling the war-cry. The sight on Jonathan's rifle had several times covered this savage's dark face. But when he was about to press the trigger, Wetzel's fleeting form, also in line with the savage, made it extremely hazardous to take a shot. Jonathan stepped from his place of concealment and let out a yell that pealed high over the cries of the savages. Wetzel suddenly dropped flat on the ground. With a whipping crack of Jonathan's rifle, the big Indian plunged forward on his face the other indians not fifty yards away stopped aghast at the fate of their comrade and were about to seek the shelter of trees when with his terrible yell witzel sprang up and charged upon them he had left his rifle where he fell but his tomahawk glittered as he ran the lameness had been a trick FOR NOW HE COVERED GROUND WITH A SWIFTNESS WHICH CAUSED HIS FORMER PROGRESS TO SEEM SLOW. THE INDIANS, MATURED AND SEASONED WARRIORS, THOUGH THEY WERE, GAVE BUT ONE GLANCE AT HIS HUGE BROWN FIGURE BEARING DOWN UPON THEM LIKE A fiend, AND UTTERING THE INDIAN NAME OF DEATHWIND, WAVERED, BROKE, AND RAN. ONE NOT SO FLEET AS HIS COMPANION, WETZEL OVERTOOK AND CUT DOWN WITH A SINGLE STROKE. The other gained an hundred yards straight in the slight interval of Wetzel's attack, and spurred on by a peeling, awful cry, in the rear sped swiftly in and out among the trees until he was lost to view. Wetzel scalped the two dead savages, and, after returning to regain his rifle, joined Jonathan at the dead oak. "'Jack, you can never tell how things is coming out. That redskin I allowed might worry us a bit.' fooled me as slick as you ever saw and i had to shoot him knowing it was a case of runnin i just cut for this oak drew the redskins fire and had em after me quicker'n you'd say jack robinson i was hopin you'd be here but wasn't sure till i seen your rifle then i kinder got a kink in my leg just to coax the brutes on three more quiet said jonathan zane what now we've headed legget and we'll keep nosin' him off his course already he's looking for a safe camping place for the night there is none in these woods for him we didn't plan this getting between him and his camp but couldn't be better fixed a mile further along the ridge is a camping place with a spring and a little dell close under a big stone and well wooded legget's heading straight for it With a couple of engines guarding that spot, he'll think he's safe. But I know the place, and can crawl to that rock the darkest night that ever was, and never crack a stick. In the gray of the deepening twilight, Jonathan Zane sat alone. An owl hooted dismally in the dark woods beyond the thicket, where the borderman crouched waiting for Wetzel. His listening ear detected a soft, rustling sound like the play of a mole under the leaves a branch trembled and swung back a soft footstep followed and wetzel came into the retreat well asked jonathan impatiently as wetzel deliberately sat down and laid his rifle across his knee easy jack easy we've an hour to wait the time i've already waited has been long for me They're there said wetzel grimly how far from here a half hour's slow crawl "'Close by,' hissed Jonathan. "'Too near for you to get excited. "'Let's us go. "'It's as light now as in the gray of morning. "'Morning would be best. "'Engines get sleepy along towards day. "'I've ever found that time the best. "'But we'll be lucky if we catch these redskins asleep. "'Lou, I can't wait here all night. "'I won't leave her longer with that renegade.' i've got to free or kill her most likely it'll be the last said wetzel simply well so be it then and the borderman hung his head you needn't worry none about helen i just had a good look at her not half an hour back she's fagged out but full of spunk yet i seen that when brant went near her legget got his hands full just now with the redskins he's having trouble keeping them on this slow trail i ain't saying they're scared but they're mighty restless will you take the chance now i reckon you needn't have asked that tell me the lay of the land why if we get to this rock i spoke about we'll be right over em it's ten feet high and we can jump straight amongst them. Most likely, two or three will be guarding openin', which is a little ways to the right. But there's a big tree, the only one low down by the spring, Helen's under it, half sittin', half leanin' against the roots. When I first looked, her hands were free, but I saw Brent bind her feet, and he had to get an engine to help him. For she kicked a spirited little filly. There's moss under the tree, and there's where the redskins'll lay down to rest. I've got that now out with your plan. Well, I calculated its this: the moon'll be up in bout an hour. We'll crawl as we've never crawled before because Helen's life depends as much on our not making a noise as it does on fightin when the time comes. if they hear us afore we're ready to shoot the lass will be tomahawked quicker'n lightnin'. If they don't suspicion us when the right moment comes, you shoot Brant, yell louder ye ever did before, leap amongst em and cut down the first engine that's near you on your way to Helen. Swing her over your arm, and dig into the woods. "'Well?' asked Jonathan when Wetzel finished. "'That's all,' replied the borderman grimly. "'And leave you all alone to fight Leggett and the rest of them? i reckon not to be thought of there's no other way well there must be let me think i can't i'm not myself no other way replied wetzel curtly jonathan's broad hand fastened on wetzel's shoulder and wheeled him around have i ever left you alone that's a different and wetzel turned away again his voice was cold and hard how is it different WE'VE HAD THE SAME THING TO DO ALMOST MORE THAN ONCE. WE'VE NEVER HAD A BAD BUNCH TO HANDLE AS LEGGETS. THEY'RE LOOKING FOR US, AND WE'LL BE HARD TO BEAT. THAT'S NO REASON. WE NEVER HAD TO SAVE A GIRL ONE OF US LOVED. JONATHAN WAS SILENT. I SAID THIS'D BE MY LAST TRAIL, CONTINUED WETZEL. i FELT IT, AND I KNOW IT'LL BE YOURS. WHY? If he get away with the girl, she'll keep you at home, and it'll be well. If you don't succeed, you'll die trying. So it's your last trail. Wetzel's deep, cold voice rang with truth. Lou, I can't run away and leave you to fight these devils alone. After all these years we've been together, I can't. No other chance to save the lass. Jonathan quivered with the force of his emotion his black eyes glittered his hands grasped at nothing once more he was between love and duty again he fought over the old battle but this time it left him weak you love that big-eyed lass don't you asked Wetzel? turning with softened face and voice i've gone mad cried jonathan tortured by the simple question of his friend those big dear wonderful eyes he loved so well Looked at him now from the gloom of the thicket, the old, beautiful, soft glow, the tender light was there, and more—a beseeching prayer to save her. Jonathan bowed his head, ashamed to let his friend see the tears that dimmed his eyes. Jack, we've follered the trail for years together. Always you've been true and staunch. This is our last. But whatever binds will break up Leggett's band tonight, and the border'll be cleared maybe for always at least his race is run let that content you our time have to come sooner or later so why not now i know how it is that you want to stick by me but the last draws you to her i understand and want you to save her maybe you never dreamed it but i can tell you just how you feel all the trembling and softness and sweetness and delight you got for that girl, it is no mystery to Lou Wetzel. You loved her last. Wetzel bowed his head as perhaps he had never before in all his life. Betty, always, he answered softly. My sister! Exclaimed Jonathan, and then his hand closed hard on his comrade's. His mind going back to many things strange in the past, but now explained. Wetzel had revealed his secret. "'And it's been all my life, since she wasn't higher'n my knee. "'There was a time when I might have been closer to you than I am now. "'But I was a mad and bloody engine-hater, "'so I never let her know till I seen it was too late. "'Well, well, no more of me. "'I only told it for you,' Jonathan was silent. "'And now to come back where we left off,' continued Wetzel. Let's take a more hopeful look at this coming fight. Sure, I said it was my last trail, but maybe it's not. You can never tell, Feelin' as we do. I imagine they've no odds on us. Never in my life did I say to you, list of all to anyone else, what I was going to do. But I'll tell it now. If I land uninjured amongst that bunch, I'll kill them all. The giant. Orman's low-voiced hissed and stung. His eyes glittered with unearthly fire. His face was cold and gray. He spread out his brawny arms and clenched his huge fist, making the muscles of his broad shoulders roll and bulge. I hate the thought, Lou. I hate the thought. Ain't there no other way? No other way? i'll do it lou because i'd do the same for you because i have to because i love her but god it hurts that's right answered wetzel his deep voice softening until it was singularly low and rich i'm glad you've come to it and sure it hurts i want you to feel so at leaving me to go it alone if we both get out alive i'll come many times to see you and helen if you live and i don't think of me sometimes think of the trails we've crossed together when the fall comes with its soft cool air and smoky mornin' and starry nights when the wind's sad among the bare branches and the leaves drop down remember they're fallen on my grave twilight darkened into gloom the red tinge in the west changed to opal light through the trees, over a dark ridge, a rim of silver glinted and moved. The moon had risen. The hour was come. The bordermen tightened their belts, replaced their leggings, tied their hunting coats, loosened their hatchets, looked to the priming of their rifles, and were ready. Wetzel walked twenty paces and turned. His face was white in the moonlight. His dark eyes softened into a look of love as he gripped his comrade's outstretched hand. Then he dropped flat on the ground, carefully saw to the position of his rifle, and began to creep. Jonathan kept close at his heels. Slowly but steadily they crawled, minute after minute. The hazelnut-brushes above them had not yet shed their leaves. The ground was clean and hard and, the course, fatefully perfect for their deadly purpose. A slight rustling of their buckskin garment sounded like the rustling of leaves in the faint breeze. The moon came out above the trees, and still Wetzel advanced softly, steadily, surely. The Owl, lonely sentinel of that wood, hooted dismally. Even his night eyes, which made the darkness seem clear as day, missed those gliding figures. Even he, sure guardian of the wilderness, failed the savages. Jonathan felt soft moss beneath him. He was now in the woods, under the trees. The thicket had been passed. Wetzel's moccasin pressed softly against Jonathan's head, the first signal. Jonathan crawled forward and slightly raised himself. He was on a rock. The trees were thick and gloomy. Below, the little hollow was almost in the wan moonbeams. Dark figures lay close together. Two savages paced noiselessly to and fro. A slight form, rolled in a blanket, lay against a tree. Jonathan felt his arm gently squeezed. The second signal. Slowly he thrust forward his rifle and raised it in unison with Wetzel's. Slowly he rose to his feet as if the same muscle guided them both over his head a twig snapped in the darkness he had not seen a low branch the indian guard stopped suddenly and became motionless as stone they had heard but too late with the blended roar of the rifles both dropped lifeless almost under the spouting flame and white cloud of smoke jonathan leaped behind wetzel over the bank his yells were mingled with wetzel's vengeful cry like leaping shadows the bordermen were upon their foes an indian sprang up raised a weapon and fell beneath jonathan's savage blow to rise no more over his prostrate body the borderman bounded a dark nimble form darted upon the captive he swung high a blade that shone like silver in the moonlight his shrill war-cry of death rang out with helen's scream of despair even as he swung back her head with one hand in her long hair his arm descended but it fell upon the borderman's body jonathan and the indian rolled upon the moss there was a terrific struggle a whirling blade a dull blow which silenced the yell and the borderman rose alone he lifted helen as if she were a child leaped the brook and plunged into the thicket The noise of the fearful conflict he left behind swelled high and hideously on the night air. Above the shrill cries of the Indians and the furious yells of Leggett rose the mad, booming roar of Wetzel. No rifle cracked, but sodden blows, the clash of steel, the thrashing of struggling men told of the dreadful strife. Jonathan gained the woods, sped through the moonlight glades, and far on, under light and shadow, the shrill cries ceased. Only the hoarse yells and the mad roar could be heard. Gradually, these all died away,
1: and the forest was still. End of Chapter Twenty. Chapter Twenty-One of the Lost Trail. This is a
0: LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer. Please visit org Recording by Mike Vendetti, mikevendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Grey, Chapter 21. Next morning, when the mist was breaking and rolling away under the warm rays of the Indian summer sun, Jonathan Zane beached his canoe on the steep bank before Fort Henry, a pioneer attracted by the borderman's hello ran to the bluff and sounded the alarm with shrill whoops. Among the hurrying, brown-clad figures that answered this summons was Colonel Zane. "'It's Jack, Colonel, and he's got her,' cried one. The doughty colonel gained the bluff to see his brother climbing the bank with a white-faced girl in his arms. "'Well,' he asked, looking darkly at Jonathan, nothing kindly or genial was visible in his manner now rather grim and foreboding he seemed thus showing he had the same blood in his veins as the borderman "Lend me hand said jonathan as far as i know she's not hurt they carried helen towards colonel zane's cabin many women of the settlement saw them as they passed and looked gravely at one another but none spoke this return of an abducted girl was by no means a strange event somebody run for shepherd ordered colonel zane as they entered his cabin betty who was in the sitting-room sprang up and cried oh Eb, Eb! don't say she's no no bets she's all right where's my wife ah bets here get to work the colonel left helen in the tender skillful hands of his wife and sister and followed jonathan into the kitchen "'I was just ready for breakfast when I heard someone yell,' said he. "'Come, Jack, eat something.' They ate in silence. From the sitting-room came excited whispers, a joyous cry from Betty, and a faint voice, then heavy, hurrying footsteps, followed by Shepherd's words of thanksgiving. "'Where's Wetzel?' began Colonel Zane. The borderman shook his head gloomily. "'Where did you leave him?' I jumped Legget's bunch last night, when the moon was about an hour high. I reckon about fifteen miles northeast. I got away with the lass. Ah, left Lou fighting? The borderman answered the question with bowed head. You got off well. Not a hurt that I can see, and more than lucky to save Helen. Well, Jack, what do you think about Lou? Going back, replied Jonathan. No, no the door opened to admit mrs zane she looked bright and cheerful hello jack glad you're home helen's all right only faint from hunger and overexertion i want something for her to eat well you men didn't leave much colonel zane went into the sitting-room shepard sat beside the couch where helen lay white and wan betty and nell were looking on with their hearts in their eyes silas zane was there and his wife with several women neighbors. "'Betty, go fetch Jack in here,' whispered the Colonel in his sister's ear. "'Drag him, if you have to,' he added fiercely. The young woman left the room to reappear directly with her brother. He came in reluctantly. As the stern-faced borderman crossed the threshold, a smile, beautiful to see, dawned in Helen's eyes. "'I'm glad to see you're coming round,' said Jonathan. But he spoke dully as if his mind was on other things. "'She's a little flighty, but a night's sleep will cure that,' cried Mrs. Zane from the kitchen. "'What do you think?' interrupted the colonel. "'Jack's not satisfied to get back with Helen unharmed and a whole skin himself, but he's going on the trail again.' "'No, Jack, no, no,' cried Betty. "'What's that, I hear?' asked Mrs. Zane, as she came in. "'Jack's going out again.' well all i want to say is that he's as mad as a march hare jonathan look here said silas seriously can't you stay home now jack listen whispered betty going close to him not one of us ever expected to see either you or helen again we are so happy do not go away again you're a man you do not know you cannot understand all a woman feels she must sit and wait and hope and pray for the safe return of husband or brother or sweetheart the long days oh the long sleepless nights with the wail of the wind and the pines and the rain on the roof it is maddening do not leave us do not leave me do not leave helen say you will not jack to these entreaties the borderman remained silent He stood leaning on his rifle, a tall, dark, strangely sad and stern man. "'Helen, beg him to stay,' implored Betty. Colonel Zane took Helen's hand and stroked it. "'Yes,' he said. "'You ask him, lass. I'm sure you can persuade him to stay.' Helen raised her head. "'Is Brent dead?' she whispered faintly. Still the borderman failed to speak but his silence was not an affirmative you said you loved me she cried wildly you said you loved me yet you didn't kill that monster the borderman moving quickly like a startled indian went out of the door once more jonathan zane entered the gloomy quiet aisles of the forest with his soft tireless tread hardly stirring the leaves it was late in the afternoon when he had long left two islands behind and arrived at the scene of mordaunt's death satisfied with the distance he had traversed he crawled into a thicket to rest daybreak found him again on the trail he made a short cut over the ridges and by the time the mist had lifted from the valley he was within stalking distance of the glade he approached this in the familiar slow cautious manner and halted behind the big rock from which he and wetzel had left the wood was solemnly quiet no twittering of birds could be heard the only sign of life was a gaunt timber wolf slinking away amid the foliage under the big tree the savage who had been killed as he would have murdered helen lay a crumpled mass where he had fallen two dead indians were in the center of the glade and on the other side were three more bloody lifeless forms wetzel was not there nor legget nor Brant i reckon so muttered jonathan as he studied the scene the grass had been trampled the trees barked the bushes crushed aside jonathan went out of the glade a short distance and circling it began to look for wetzel's trail he found it and near the light footprints of his comrade were the great broad moccasin tracks of the outlaw further searching disclosed the fact that brant must have traveled in line with the others with the certainty that wetzel had killed three of the indians and in some wonderful manner characteristic of him routed the outlaws of whom he was now in pursuit jonathan's smoldering emotion burst forth into full flame love for his old comrade deadly hate of the outlaws and passionate thirst for their blood rioted in his heart like a lynx scenting its quarry the borderman started on the trail tireless and unswervable the traces left by the fleeting outlaws and their pursuer were plain to jonathan it was not necessary for him to stop legget and brandt seeking to escape the implacable nemesis were traveling with all possible speed regardless of the broad trail such hurried movements left behind they knew full well it would be difficult to throw this wolf off the scent understood that if any attempt was made to ambush the trail they must cope with woodcraft keener than an indian's flying in desperation they hoped to reach the rocky retreat where like foxes in their burrows they believed themselves safe when the sun sloped low toward the western horizon lengthening jonathan's shadow he slackened pace he was entering the rocky rugged country which marked the approach to the distant alleghanies from the top of a ridge he took his bearings deciding that he was within a few miles of legget's hiding-place at the foot of this ridge where a murmuring brook sped swiftly over its bed he halted here a number of horses had forded the brook they were iron-shod which indicated almost to a certainty that they were stolen horses and in the hands of indians jonathan saw where the trail of the steeds was merged into that of the outlaws he suspected that the indians and legget had held a short council as he advanced the borderman found only the faintest impression of wetzel's trail legget and brant no longer left any token of their course they were riding the horses all the borderman cared to know was if wetzel still pursued he passed on swiftly up a hill through a wood of birches where the trail showed on a line of broken ferns. Then out upon a low ridge, where patches of grass grew sparsely, here he saw in this last ground no indication of his comrade's trail. Nothing was to be seen save the imprints of the horse's hoofs. Jonathan halted behind the nearest underbrush. This sudden move on the part of Wetzel was token that, suspecting an ambush, he had made a detour somewhere probably in the grove of birches. All the while his eyes searched the long barren reach ahead. No thicket, fallen tree, or splintered rocks, such as Indians utilized for an ambush, could be seen. Indians always sought the densely matted underbrush, a windfall, or rocky retreat, and there awaited a pursuer. It was one of the borderman's tricks of woodcraft that he could recognize such places far beyond the sandy ridge jonathan came to a sloping wooded hillside upon which were scattered big rocks some mossy and lichen-covered and one a giant boulder with a crown of ferns and laurel gracing its flat surface it was such a place as the savages would select for ambush he knew however that if an indian had hidden himself there Wetzel would have discovered him when opposite the rock jonathan saw a broken fern hanging over the edge the heavy trail of the horses ran close beside it then with that thoroughness of search which made the border man what he was jonathan leapt upon the rock there lying in the midst of the fern lay an indian with sullen somber face set in the repose of death in his side was a small bullet hole jonathan examined the savage's rifle it had been discharged the rock the broken fern the dead indian the discharged rifle told the story of that woodland tragedy wetzel had discovered the ambush leaving the trail he had tricked the redskin into firing then getting a glimpse of the indian's red body through the sights of his fatal weapon the deed was done with greater caution jonathan advanced once more not far beyond the rock he found wetzel's trail the afternoon was drawing to a close he could not travel much further yet he kept on hoping to overtake his comrade before darkness set in from time to time he whistled but got no answering signal when the tracks of the horses were nearly hidden by the gathering dusk jonathan decided to halt for the night he whistled one more note louder and clearer and awaited the result with strained ears the deep silence of the wilderness prevailed suddenly to be broken by a faint far-away melancholy call of the hermit thrush it was the answering signal the borderman had hoped to hear not many moments elapsed before he heard another call low and near at hand to which he replied the bushes parted noiselessly on his left and the tall form of wetzel appeared silently out of the gloom the two gripped hands in silence have ye any meat wetzel asked and as jonathan handed him his knapsack he continued, "'I was kind of looking for you. Did you get out all right with the lass?' "'Nary a scratch.' The giant borderman grunted his satisfaction. "'How'd Leggett and Brant get away?' asked Jonathan. "'Cut and run like scared bucks. Never got a hand on either of them. How many redskins did they meet back here a spell?' "'They were seven. BUT NOW THERE ARE ONLY SIX, AND ALL SNUG IN LEGGET'S PLACE BY THIS TIME. I RECKON WE'RE NEAR HIS DEN, OR NOT FAR OFF. NIGHT, SOON CLOSING DOWN UPON THE BORDERMEN, FOUND THEM WRAPPED IN SLUMBER, AS IF NO DEADLY FOES WERE NEAR AT HAND. THE SOFT NIGHT WIND sighed DISMALLY ALONG THE BARE TREES. A FEW BRIGHT STARS TWINKLED OVERHEAD. IN THE DARKNESS OF THE FOREST,
1: THE BORDERMEN WERE AT HOME. End of chapter twenty one chapter twenty two of the last trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox
0: recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Last Trail by Zane Gray. Chapter twenty two. In Leggett's rude log cabin, a fire burned low, lighting the forms of the two border outlaws showing in the background the dark forms of Indians sitting motionless on the floor. Their dusky eyes admitted a baleful glint, seemingly a reflection of their savage souls caught by the firelight. Leggett wore a look of ferocity and sullen fear, strangely blended. Brant's face was hard and haggard, his lips set, his gray eyes smoldering. "'Safe!' he hissed. "'Safe, you say?' "'You'll see that it's the same now as on the other night, "'when those border tigers jumped us and we ran like cowards. "'I'd have fought it out here, but for you.' "'That man, Witzel, is raving mad, I tell you,' growled Leggett. "'I reckon I've stood my ground enough to know I ain't no coward. "'But this feller's crazy. "'He had the engines slashing each other like a pack of wolves around a buck.' He's no more mad than you or I, declared Brant. I know all about him. His moaning in the woods and wild yells are only tricks. He knows the Indian nature, and he makes their very superstition and religion aid him in his fighting. I told you what he'd do, didn't I beg you to kill Zane when we had the chance? Wetzel would never have taken our trail alone. Now they've beat me out of the girl, and as sure as death will round us up here. "'You don't believe they'll rush us here?' asked Leggett. "'They're too keen to take foolish chances, but something will be done we don't expect. Zane was a prisoner here. He had a good look at this place. And you can gamble, he'll remember. Zane must have gone back to Fort Henry with the girl. "'Mark what I say, he'll come back.' "'Well, we can hold this place against all the men Eb Zane may put out.' "'He didn't send a man,' snapped Brandt passionately. Remember this, Leggett, We're not to fight against soldiers, settlers, or hunters, but bordermen. Understand, bordermen, such as have been developed right here on this bloody frontier and nowhere else on earth. They haven't fear in them. Both their fleet is deer in the woods; they can't be seen or trailed. They can snuff a candle with a rifle ball in the dark. I've seen Zane do it three times at a hundred yards, and Wetzel, he wouldn't waste powder on practicing. They can't be ambushed or shaken off a track. They take the scent like buzzards, and have eyes like eagles." "'We can slip out of here under cover of night,' suggested Leggett." "'Well, what then?' "'That's all they want. They'd be on us again by sunset. No. We've got to stand our ground and fight. We'll stay as long as we can. But they'll rot us out somehow, be sure of that. And if one of us pokes his nose out to the daylight—' It'll be shot off. You're sore. You've lost your nerve, said Leggett harshly. Sore at me, cause I got sweet on a girl. <laughs> Branch shot a glance at Leggett, which boded no good. His strong hands clenched in an action, betraying the reckless rage in his heart. Then he carefully removed his hunting coat and examined his wound. He retied the bandage, muttering gloomily, So weak as to be lightheaded. If this cut opens again, it's all day for me. After that, the inmates of the hut were quiet. The huge outlaw bowed his shaggy head for a while and then threw himself on a pile of hemlock boughs. Brant was not long in seeking rest, soon both were fast asleep. Two of the savages passed out with cat-like step, leaving the door open. The fire had burned low, leaving a bed of dead coals. Outside in the dark, waterfall splashed softly. The darkest hour came and passed, and paled slowly to gray. Birds began to twitter. Through the door of the cabin the light of day streamed in. The two Indian sentinels were building a fire on the stone hearth. One by one, the other savages got up, stretched and yawned, and began the business of the day by cooking their breakfast. It was apparently everyone for himself. Legate arose, shook himself like a shaggy dog and was starting for the door when one of the sentinels stopped him. Brandt, who was now awake, saw the action and smiled. In a few moments, Indians and outlaws were eating breakfast roasted strips of venison with cornmeal baked brown, which served as bread. It was a somber, silent group. Presently the shrill neigh of a horse startled them. Following with it, the whip-like crack of a rifle stung and split the morning air. Hard on this came an Indian's long, wailing, death-cry. "'Ah!' exclaimed Brandt. Leggett remained immovable. One of the savages peered out through a little porthole at the rear of the hut. The others continued their meal. Was come in presently to tell us who's doing that shootin'? said Leggett. "'He's a keen engine.' "'He's not very keen now,' replied Brent, with bitter certainty. "'He's what the settlers call a good Indian.' which is to say, dead. Leggett scowled at his lieutenant. "'I'll go and see,' he replied and seized his rifle. He opened the door, when another rifle shot rang out, a bullet whistled in the air, grazing the outlaw's shoulder and embedded itself in the heavy doorframe. Leggett leapt back with a curse. "'Close shave,' said Brent coolly. "'That bullet came close, probably straight down from the top of the cliff. Jack Zane's there.' Wetzel is lower down, watching the outlet. We're trapped. "'Trapped!' shouted Legget with an angry leer. "'We can live here longer'n the bordermen can. We've meat on hand and a good spring in the back of the hut.' "'How are we trapped?' "'We won't live twenty-four hours,' declared Brandt. "'Why?' "'Because we'll be rotted out. They'll find some way to do it, and we'll never have another chance to fight in the open as we had the other night when they came after the girl. From now on there'll be no sleep, no time to eat. The nameless fear of an unseen foe who can't be shaken off, marching by night, hiding and starving by day, until— I'd rather be back at Fort Henry at Colonel Zane's mercy. Leggett turned a ghastly face towards Brandt. Look-a-here. You're taking a lot of glee in saying these things. I believe you've lost your nerve or the lettin' out of a little blood has made you wobbly. We've engines here, and ought to be a match for two men. Brent gazed at him with a derisive smile. We can go out and fight these fellers, continued Leggett. We might try their own game, hidin' and crawlin' through the woods. We, too, would have to go it alone if you still had your trusty, trained band of experienced Indians. I'd say that would be just the thing but ashbow and the chippewa are dead so are the others this bunch of redskins here may do to steal a few horses they don't amount to much against zane and wetzel besides they'll cut and run presently for they're scared and suspicious look at the chief ask him the savage brent indicated was a big indian just coming into manhood his swarthy face still retained some of the frankness and simplicity of youth chief said legged in the indian tongue The great pale face hunter, Death Wind, lies hid in the woods. Last night the Shawnee heard the wind of death mourn through the trees. Replied the chief gloomily. "Say, what did I say?" cried Brent. The superstitious fool. He would begin his death chant almost without a fight. We can't count on the Redskins. What's to be done? The outlaw threw himself upon the bed of boughs, and Legget sat down with his rifle across his knees. The Indians maintained the same stoical composure the moments dragged by into hours "ugh" suddenly exclaimed the indian at the end of the hut legged ran to him and acting upon a motion of the indian's hand looked out through the little porthole the sun was high he saw four of the horses grazing by the brook then gazed scrutinizingly from the steep waterfall along the green-stained cliff to the dark narrow cleft in the rocks here was the only outlet from the enclosure. He failed to discover anything unusual. The Indian grunted again and pointed upward. Smoke! There's smoke rising above the trees, cried Liggett. Brant, come here. What's that mean? Brant hurried, looked out, his face paled, his lower jaw protruded, quivered, and then was shut hard. He walked away, put his foot on a bench, and began to lace his leggings. Well, demanded Leggett. game's up. Get ready to run and be shot at, cried Brandt with a hiss of passion. Almost as he spoke, the roof of the hut shook under a heavy blow. What's that? No one replied. Legget glanced from Brant's cold, determined face to the uneasy savages. They were restless in handling their weapons. The chief strode across the floor with stealthy steps. Thud! A repetition of the first blow caused the Indians to jump and drew a fierce imprecation from the outlaw leader. Rat-Eyed him narrowly. "'It's coming to you, Legget. They are shooting arrows of fire into the roof from the cliff. Zane is doing that. He can make a bow and draw one, too. We're to be burned out. Now, damn you, take your medicine. I wanted you to kill him when you had the chance. If you had done so, we'd never have come to this. Burned out. Do you get that? Burned out. Fire!' exclaimed Legget. He sat down as if the strength had left his legs. The Indians circled around the room like caged tigers. Ugh! The chief suddenly reached up and touched the birch-bark roof of the hut. His action brought the attention of all to a faint crackling of burning wood. It's caught all right, cried Brandt in a voice which cut the air like a blow from a knife. I'll not be smoked like a ham. For all these tricky bordermen roared Legget. Drawing his knife, he hacked at the heavy buckskin hinges of the rude door. When it dropped free, he measured against the open space. Sheathing the blade, he grasped his rifle in his right hand and swung the door on his left arm. Heavy though it was, he carried it easily. The roughly hewn planks afforded a capital shield for all except the lower portion of his legs and feet. He went out of the hut with the screen of wood between himself and the cliff, calling for the Indians to follow. They gathered behind him, breathing hard, clutching their weapons, and seemingly almost crazed by excitement. Brant, with no thought of joining this foolhardy attempt to escape from the enclosure, ran to the little porthole that he might see the outcome. Leggett and his five redskins were running toward the narrow outlet in the gorge. The awkward and futile efforts of the Indians to remain behind the shield were almost pitiful. They crowded each other for favorable positions, but struggle as they might— one or two were always exposed to the cliff suddenly one pushed to the rear stopped simultaneously with the crack of a rifle threw up his arms and fell another report differing from the first rang out a savage staggered from behind the speeding group with his hand at his side then he dropped into the brook evidently Legget grasped at his golden opportunity for he threw aside the heavy shield sprang forward closely followed by his red-skinned allies Immediately they came near the cliff where the trail ran into the gorge a violent shaking of the dry ferns overhead made manifest the activity of some heavy body next instant a huge yellow figure not unlike a leaping catamount plunged down with a roar so terrible as to sound inhuman Legged indians and newcomer rolled along the declivity towards the brook in an indistinguishable mass Two of the savages shook themselves free and bounded to their feet, nimbly as cats. But Leggett and the other redskin became entangled in a terrific combat. It was a wrestling whirl, so fierce and rapid as to render blows ineffectual. The leaves scattered as in a whirlwind. Leggett's fury must have been awful, to judge from his hoarse screams. The Indians fear maddening, as could be told by their shrieks. The two savages ran wildly about the combatants one trying to level a rifle, the other to get in a blow with a tomahawk, but the movements of the trio, locked in deadly embrace, were too swift. Above all the noise of the contest rose that strange, thrilling roar. "'Wetzel!' muttered Brandt with a chill, creeping shudder as he gazed upon the strife with fascinated eyes. "'Bang!' Again from the cliff came that heavy bellow. The savage with the rifle shrunk back as if stung, and, without a cry, fell limply in a heap. His companion, uttering a frightened cry, fled from the glen. The struggle seemed too deadly, too terrible, to last long. The Indian and the outlaw were at a disadvantage. They could not strike freely. The whirling conflict grew more fearful. During one second the huge, brown, bearish figure of legged appeared on top then the dark-bodied, half-naked savage spotted like a hyena, and finally the lithe, powerful tiger-shape of the borderman. Finally, Legget wretched himself free at the same instant that the bloody-stained Indian rolled, writhing in convulsions away from Wetzel. The outlaw dashed with desperate speed up the trail and disappeared in the gorge. The borderman sped toward the cliff, leaped onto a projecting ledge, grasped an overhanging branch, and pulled himself up. He was out of sight almost as quickly as Leggett. "'After his rifle,' Brand muttered, then realized that he had watched the encounter without any idea of aiding his comrade. He consoled himself with the knowledge that such an attempt would have been useless. From the moment the borderman sprang upon Leggett, until he scaled the cliff, his movements had been incredibly swift. It would have been hardly possible to cover him with a rifle, and the outlaw grimly understood that he needed to be careful of that charge in his weapon by heaven wetzel's a wonder cried brandt in unwilling admiration now he'll go after Leggett and the redskin while zane stays here to get me well he'll succeed most likely but i'll never quit what's this he felt something slippery and warm in his hand it was blood running from the inside of his sleeve a slight pain made itself felt in his side Upon examination he found, to his dismay, that his wound had reopened. With a desperate curse he pulled a linsey jacket off a peg, tore it into strips, and bound up the injury as tightly as possible. Then he grasped his rifle and watched the cliff and the gorge with flaring eyes. Suddenly he found it difficult to breathe, his throat was parched, his eyes smarted. Then the odor of wood smoke brought him to a realization that the cabin was burning. It was only now he understood that the room was full of blue clouds. He sank into the corner, of wolf at bay. Not many moments passed before the outlaw understood that he could not withstand the increasing heat and stifling vapor of the room. Pieces of burning birch dropped from the roof. The crackling above grew into a steady roar. "'I've got to run for it,' he gasped. Death awaited him outside the door. But that was more acceptable than death by fire." yet to face the final moment, when he desired with all his soul to live, required almost superhuman courage. Sweating, panting, he glared around. God! Is there no other way? he cried in agony. At this moment he saw an axe on the floor. Seizing it he attacked the wall of the cabin. Beyond this partition was a hut which had been used for a stable. Half a dozen strokes of the axe opened a hole large enough for him to pass through. With his rifle and a piece of venison which hung near, he literally fell through the hole, where he lay choking, almost fainting. After a time he crawled across the floor to a door. Outside was a dense laurel thicket, into which he crawled. The crackling and roaring of the fire grew louder. He could see the column of yellow and black smoke. Once fairly under way, the flames rapidly consumed the pitch pine logs. In an hour Leggett's cabins were a heap of ashes. The afternoon waned. Brandt lay watchful, slowly recovering his strength. He felt secure under this cover, and only prayed for night to come. As the shadows began to creep down the sides of the cliff, he indulged in hope. If he could slip out in the dark, he had a good chance to elude the bordermen. In the passionate desire to escape, he had forgotten his fatalistic words to Leggett. He reasoned that he could not be trailed until daylight that a long night's march would put him far in the lead, and there was just the possibility of Zane's having gone away with Wetzel. When darkness had set in, he slipped out of the covert and began his journey for life. Within a few yards he reached a brook. He had only to follow its course in order to find the outlet to the glen. Moreover, its rush and gurgle over the stones would drown any slight noise he might make. Slowly, patiently, he crawled, stopping every moment to listen. What a long time he was in coming to the mossy stones over which the brook dashed through the gorge. But he reached them at last. Here, if anywhere, Zane would wait for him. With teeth clenched desperately, and an inward tightening of his chest, for at any moment he expected to see the red flame of a rifle, he slipped cautiously over the mossy stones." Finally, his hands touched the dewy grass, and a breath of cool wind fanned his hot cheek. He had succeeded in reaching the open. Crawling some rods further on, he lay still a while and listened. The solemn wilderness calm was unbroken. Rising, he peered about. Behind loomed the black hill with its narrow cleft just discernible. Facing the North Star,
1: he went silently out into the darkness. End of chapter 22. Chapter 23 of The Last
0: Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray. Chapter 23. At daylight Jonathan Zane rolled from his snug bed of leaves under the side of a log, and with the flint, steel, and punk he always carried, began building a fire. His actions were far from being hurried. They were deliberate, and seemed strange on the part of a man whose stern face suggested some dark business to be done. When his little fire had been made, he warmed some slices of venison which had already been cooked, and thus satisfied his hunger carefully extinguishing the fire and looking to the priming of his rifle he was ready for the trail he stood near the edge of the cliff from which he could command a view of the glen the black smoldering ruins of the burned cabins defaced the picturesque scene brant must have lit out last night for i could have seen even a rabbit hiding in that laurel patch he's gone and it's what i wanted thought the borderman He made his way slowly around the edge of the enclosure and clambered down on the splintered cliff at the end of the gorge a wide well-trodden trail extended into the forest below jonathan gave scarcely a glance to the beaten path before him but bent keen eyes to the north and carefully scrutinized the mossy stones along the brook upon a little sandbar running out from the bank he found the light imprint of a hand it was a black night He'd have to travel by the stars, and north the only safe direction for him, muttered the borderman. On the bank above he found oblong indentations in the grass, barely perceptible, but owing to the particular position of the blades of grass, easy for him to follow. He'd better have learned to walk light as an engine before he took to outlawn, said the borderman in disdain. Then he returned to the gorge and entered the enclosure at the foot of the rise of ground where wetzel had leaped upon his quarry was one of the dead indians another lay partly submerged in the brown water jonathan carried the weapons of the savages to a dry place under a projecting ledge in the cliff passing on down the glen he stopped a moment where the cabins had stood not a log remained the horses with the exception of two were tethered in the copse of laurel he recognized colonel zane's thoroughbred and betty's pony he cut them loose positive they would not stray from the glen and might easily be secured at another time he set out upon the trail of brandt with a long swinging stride to him the outcome of the pursuit was but a question of time the consciousness of superior endurance speed and craft spoke in his every movement the consciousness of being in right a factor so powerfully potent for victory spoke in the intrepid front with which he faced the north. It was a gloomy November day. Gray, steely clouds drifted overhead. The wind wailed through the bare trees, sending dead leaves scurrying and rustling over the brown earth. The borderman advanced with a step that covered glade and glen, forest and field, with astonishing swiftness. Long since he had seen that Brant was holding to the lowland. This did not strike him as singular until... For the third time he found a trail led a short distance up the side of a ridge, then descended, seeking a level. With this discovery came the certainty that Brant's pace was lessening. He had set out with a hunter stride, but it had begun to shorten. The outlaw had shirked the hills, and shifted from his northern course. Why? The man was weakening. He could not climb. He was favoring a wound. What seemed more serious for the outlaw was the fact that he had left a good trail and entered the low, wild land north of the Ohio. Even the Indians seldom penetrated this tangled belt of laurel and thorn. Owing to the dry season, the swamps were shallow, which was another factor against Brant. No doubt he had hoped to hide his trail by waiting, and here it showed up like the track of a bison. Jonathan kept steadily on. Knowing the further Brandt penetrated into this wilderness, the worse off he would be. The outlaw dared not take to the river until below Fort Henry, which was distant, many a weary mile. The trail grew more ragged as the afternoon wore away. When twilight rendered further tracking impossible, the bordermans built a fire in a sheltered place, ate his supper, and went to sleep. In the dim gray morning light he awoke, fancying he had been startled by a distant rifle shot he roasted his strips of venison carefully and ate with a hungry hunter's appreciation yet sparingly as benefited a borderman who knew how to keep up his strength upon a long trail hardly had he traveled a mile when brant's footprints covered another's nothing surprised the borderman but he had expected this least of all a hasty examination convinced him that legget and his indian ally had fled this way with wetzel in pursuit the morning passed slowly the borderman kept the trail like a hound the afternoon wore on over sandy reaches thick with willows and through long matted dried-out cranberry marshes and copses of prickly thorn the borderman hung to his purpose his legs seemed never to lose their spring but his chest began to heave his head bent and his face shone with sweat at dusk he tired Crawling into a dry thicket, he ate his scanty meal and fell asleep. When he awoke it was gray daylight. He was wet and chilled. Again he kindled a fire and sat over it, while cooking breakfast. Suddenly he was brought to his feet by the sound of a rifle-shot. Then two others followed in rapid succession. Though they were faint and far away to the west, Jonathan recognized the first, which could have come only from Wetzel's weapon and he felt reasonably certain of the third, which was Brandt's. There might have been, he reflected grimly, a good reason for Leggett's not shooting. However, he knew that Wetzel had rounded up the fugitives, and again he set out. It was another dismal day, such as one would be fitting for a dark deed of border justice. A cold, drizzly rain blew from the northwest. Jonathan wrapped a piece of oilskin around his rifle breech and faced the downfall. Soon he was wet to the skin. He kept on. But his free stride had shortened. Even upon his iron muscles this soggy, sticky ground had begun to tell. The morning passed, but the storm did not. The air grew colder and darker. The short afternoon would afford him little time, especially as the rain and running rills of water were obliterating the trail. In the midst of a dense forest of great cottonwoods and sycamores, he came upon a little pond hidden among the bushes and shrouded in a windy wet gloom jonathan recognized the place he'd been there in winter hunting bears when all the swampland was locked by ice the borderman searched along the banks for a time then went back to the trail patiently following it around the pond it led to the side of a great shelving rock he saw an indian leaning against this and was about to throw forward his rifle when the strange fixed position of the savage told of the tragedy, a wound extended from his shoulder to his waist. Nearby, on the ground, lay Liggett. He, too, was dead. His gigantic frame weltered in blood. His big feet were wide apart, his arms spread, and from the middle of his chest protruded the heft of a knife. The level space surrounding the body showed evidence of a desperate struggle a bush had been rolled upon and crushed by heavy bodies. On the ground was blood as on the stones and leaves. The blade-legged, still clutched, was red, and the wrist of the hand which held it showed a dark, discolored band, where it had felt the relentless grasp of Wetzel's steel grip. The dead man's buckskin coat was cut into ribbons. On his broad face a demoniacal expression had set in eternal rigidity. The animal terror of death was frozen in his wide, staring eyes. The outlaw chief had died as he lived, desperately. Jonathan found Wetzel's trail leading directly toward the river, and soon understood that the borderman was on the track of Brandt. The borderman had surprised the worn, starved, sleepy fugitives in the gray, misty dawn, The Indian, doubtless, was the sentinel, and had fallen asleep at his post, never to awaken. Leggett and Brandt must have discharged their weapons ineffectively. Zane could not understand why his comrade had missed Brandt at a few rods' distance. Perhaps he had wounded the younger outlaw, but certainly he had escaped while Wetzel had closed in on Leggett to meet the hardest battle of his career. While going over his version of the attack, Jonathan followed Brant's trail, as had Wetzel, to where it ended in the river. The old borderman had continued on downstream along the sandy shore. The outlaw remained in the water to hide his trail. At one point, Wetzel turned north. This move puzzled Jonathan, as did also the peculiar tracks. It was more perplexing because not far below, zane discovered where the fugitive had left the water to go around a ledge of rock. The trail was approaching Fort Henry. Jonathan kept on down the river until arriving at the head of the island which lay opposite the settlement. Still no traces of Wetzel. Here Zane lost Brant's trail completely. He waded the first channel, which was shallow and narrow, and hurried across the island. Walking out upon a sandbar, he signaled with his well-known Indian cry. Almost immediately came an answering shout. While waiting, he glanced at the sand and there, pointing straight
1: toward the fort, he found Brant's straggling trail. End of chapter twenty three, chapter twenty four of the last trail.
0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit libriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, mikevendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray, Chapter 24 Colonel Zane paced to and fro on the porch. His genial smile had not returned. He was grave and somber. Information had just reached him that Jonathan had hailed from the island and that one of the settlers had started across the river in a boat. Betty came out accompanied by Mrs. Zane. "'What's this, I hear?' asked Betty, flashing an anxious glance toward the river. "'Has Jack really come in?' "'Yes,' replied the Colonel, pointing to a throng of men on the river bank. "'Now there will be trouble,' said Mrs. Zane nervously. "'I wish with all my heart Brant had not thrown himself, as he called it, on your mercy.' "'So do I,' declared Colonel Zane. "'What will be done?' she asked. "'There!' That's Jack Silas has hold of his arm, he's lame, he's been hurt. replied her husband. A little procession of men and boys followed the bordermen from the river, and from the cabins appeared the settlers and their wives. But there was no excitement except among the children. The crowd filed into the colonel's yard behind Jonathan and Silas Colonel Zane silently greeted his brother with an iron grip of the hand, which was more expressive than words. No unusual sight was it to see the borderman wet, ragged, bloody, worn with long marches, hollow-eyed and gloomy. Yet he had never before presented such an appearance at Fort Henry. Betty ran forward, and though she clasped his arm, shrank back. There was that in the borderman's presence to cause fear. "'Wetzel!' Jonathan cried sharply. The colonel raised both hands, palms open, and returned his brother's keen glance. Then he spoke. Lou hasn't come in. I chased Brant across the river. That's all I know. Brant's here, then, hissed the borderman. The colonel nodded gloomily. Where? In the long room over the fort. I locked him in there. Why did he come here? Colonel Zane shrugged his shoulders. It's beyond me. He said he'd rather place himself in my hands than be run down by Wetzel or you. He didn't crawl. I'll say that for him. He just said, I'm your prisoner. He's in pretty bad shape, barked over the temple, lame in one foot, conductor under the arm, starved and worn out. Take me to him," said the boardman, and he threw his rifle on a bench. Very well. Come along," replied the colonel. He frowned at those following them. Here, you women, clear out. But they did not obey him. It was a sober-faced group that marched in through the big stockade gate. Under the huge, bulging front of the fort and up the rough stairway, Colonel Zane removed a heavy bar from before a door and thrust it open with his foot. The long guardroom brilliantly lighted by sunshine coming through the portholes was empty save for a ragged man lying on a bench. The noise aroused him. He sat up and then slowly labored to his feet. It was the same flaring, wild-eyed rant, only fiercer and more haggard. He wore a bloody bandage round his head. When he saw the borderman, he backed with involuntary, instinctive action against the wall, yet showed no fear. In the dark glance Jonathan shot at Brant. shown a pitiless implacability. No scorn, nor hate, nor passion, but something which, had it not been so terrible, might have been justice. I think Wetzel was hurt in the fight with Leggett, said Jonathan deliberately, and ask if you know. I believe he was, replied Brandt readily. I was asleep when he jumped us, and was awakened by the Indian yell. Wetzel must have taken a snapshot at me as I was getting up, which accounts probably for my being alive. I fell, but did not lose consciousness. I heard Wetzel and Legget fighting, and at last struggled to my feet. Although dizzy and bewildered, I could see to shoot, but missed. For a long time, it seemed to me, I watched that terrible fight, and then ran, finally reaching the river, where I recovered somewhat. "'Did you see Wetzel again?' "'Once about a quarter of a mile behind me, he was staggering along on my trail. "'At this juncture there was a commotion among the settlers crowding behind Colonel Zane and Jonathan, and Helen Shepard appeared, white, with her big eyes strangely dilated. "'Oh!' she cried breathlessly, clasping both hands around Jonathan's arm. "'I'm not too late?' You're not going to—' "'Helen, this is no place for you,' said Colonel Zane sternly. "'This is business for men. You must not interfere.' Helen gazed at him, at Brandt, and then up at the borderman. She did not lose his arm. "'Outside someone told me you intended to shoot him. Is it true?' Colonel Zane evaded the searching gaze of those strained, brilliant eyes. Nor did he answer. As Helen stepped slowly back, a hush fell upon the crowd. The whispering, the nervous coughing, and shuffling of feet ceased. In those around her, Helen saw the spirit of the border. Colonel Zane and Silas wore the same look, cold, hard, almost brutal. The women were strangely grave. Nelly Down's sweet face seemed changed. There was pity, even suffering on it, but no relenting. Even Betty's face, always so warm, piquant, and wholesome had taken on a shade of doubt, of gloom, of something almost sullen, which blighted its dark beauty. What hurt Helen most cruelly was the borderman's glittering eyes. She fought against a shuddering weakness which threatened to overcome her. "'Whose prisoner is Brandt?' she asked Colonel Zane. "'He gave himself up to me, naturally, as I am in authority here,' replied the Colonel. "'But that signifies little.' i can do no less than abide by jonathan's decree which after all is the decree of the border and that is death to outlaws and renegades but cannot you spare him implored helen i know he is a bad man but he might become a better one it seems like murder to me to kill him in cold blood wounded suffering as he is when he claimed your mercy oh it is dreadful The usually kind-hearted colonel, soft as wax in the hands of a girl, was now colder and harder than flint. "'It is useless,' he replied curtly. "'I am sorry for you. We all understand your feelings that yours are not the principles of the border. If you had lived long here, you could appreciate what these outlaws and renegades have done to us. This man is a hardened criminal. He's a thief, a murderer.' he did not kill mordaunt replied helen quickly i saw him draw first and attack brant no matter come helen ceased no more of this colonel zane cried with impatience but i will not exclaimed helen with ringing voice and flashing eye she turned to her girlfriends and besought them to intercede for the outlaw but nell only looked sorrowfully on while betty met her appealing glance with a fire in her eyes that was no dim reflection of her brother's. "'Then I must make my appeal to you,' said Helen, facing the borderman. There could be no mistaking how she regarded him. Respect, honor, and love breathed from every line of her beautiful face. "'Why do you want him to go free?' demanded Jonathan. "'You told me to kill him.' "'Oh, I know, but I was not in my right mind. Listen to me, please.' he must have been very different once perhaps had sisters for their sake give him another chance i know he has a better nature i feared him hated him scorned him as if he were a snake yet he saved me from the monster legate for himself well yes i can't deny that but he could have ruined me wrecked me yet he did not at least he meant marriage by me He said if I would marry him, he would flee over the border and be an honest man. Have you no other reason? Yes. Ellen's bosom swelled and a glory shone in her splendid eyes. The other reason is my own happiness. Plain to all, if not through her words, from the light in her eyes, that she could not love a man who was a party to what she considered injustice. The borderman's wife's face became flaming red it was difficult to refuse this glorious girl any sacrifice she demanded for the sake of the love so openly avowed sweetly and pityingly she turned to brandt will not you help me lass if it were for me you were asking my life i'd swear it yours for always and i'd be a man he replied with bitterness but not to save my soul when i ask anything of him the giant passion's hate and jealousy flamed in his gray eyes if i persuade them to release you will you go away leave this country and never come back i'll promise that lass and honestly he replied she wheeled toward jonathan and now the rosy color chased the pallor from her cheeks jack do you remember when we parted at my home when you left on this terrible trail now ended thank god do you remember what an ordeal that was for me must i go through it again bewitchingly sweet she was then with the girlish charm of coquetry almost lost in the deeper stranger power of the woman the borderman drew his breath sharply then he wrapped his long arms closely around her she understanding that victory was hers sank weeping upon his breast for a moment he bowed his face over her and when he lifted it the dark and terrible gloom had gone eb let him go and at once ordered jonathan give him a rifle some meat and a canoe for he can't travel and turn him loose only be quick about it because if wetzel comes in god himself couldn't save the outlaw it was an indescribable glance that brant cast upon the tearful face of the girl who had saved his life but without a word he followed colonel zane from the room the crowd slowly filed down the steps and nell lingered behind their eyes beaming through happy tears jonathan long so cold showed evidence of becoming as quick and passionate a lover as he had been an orderman at least helen had to release herself from his embrace and it was a blushing tear-stained face she turned to her friends when they reached the stockade gate colonel zane was hurrying toward the river with a bag in one hand and a rifle and a paddle in the other brant limped along after him the two disappearing over the river bank betty nell and their lovers went to the edge of the bluff they saw colonel zane choose a canoe from among a number on the beach he launched it deposited the bag in the bottom handed the rifle and a paddle to brant and wheeled about the outlaw stepped aboard and pushing off slowly drifted down and out toward midstream when about 50 yards from shore he gave a quick glance around and ceased paddling His face gleamed white, and his eyes glinted like bits of steel in the sun. Suddenly he grasped the rifle and, leveling it with the swiftness of thought, fired at Jonathan. The borderman saw the act, even from the beginning, and must have read the outlaw's motive, for as the weapon flashed, he dropped flat on the bank. The bullet sang harmlessly over him, embedding itself in the stockade fence with a distinct thud. The girls were so numb with horror that they could not even scream colonel zane swore lustily where's my gun get me a gun oh what did i tell you look cried jonathan as he rose to his feet upon the sandbar opposite stood a tall dark familiar figure by all that's holy wetzel exclaimed colonel zane they saw the giant borderman raise a long black rifle which wavered and fell and rose again. A little puff of white smoke leaped out, accompanied by a clear, stinging report. Brandt dropped the paddle. He had heard the plying after his traitor's act. His white face was turned toward the shore as it sank forward to rest at last upon the gunwale of the canoe. When his body slowly settled, as if seeking repose, his hand trailed outside in the water drooping inert and lifeless. The little craft drifted downstream. "'You see, Helen, it had to be,' said Colonel Zane gently. "'What a dastard! A long shot, Jack! Fate itself must have glanced down the sights of Wetzel's
1: rifle.'" End of chapter 24 Chapter 25 of The Last Trail This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox
0: recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, mikevendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Grey, Chapter Twenty-Five. A year rolled round. Once again, Indian summer veiled the golden fields and forests in a soft, smoky haze. Once more, from the opal-blue sky of autumn nights shone the great white stars, and nature seemed wrapped in a melancholy hush. November the 3rd was the anniversary of a memorable event on the frontier—the marriage of the younger Borderman. Colonel Zane gave it the name of Independence Day and arranged a holiday, a feast and dance, where all the settlement might meet in joyful thankfulness for the first year of freedom on the border. With the wiping out of Leggett's fierce band, the yoke of the renegades and outlaws was thrown off forever. Simon Girty migrated to Canada and lived with a few Indians who remained true to him. His confederates slowly sank into oblivion. The Shawnee tribe sullenly retreated westward, far into the interior of Ohio. The Delawares buried the war-hatchet and smoked the pipe of peace. They had ever before refused. For them, the dark mysterious fatal wind had ceased to moan among the trails or sigh through tree-tops over lonely indian campfires. the beautiful ohio valley had been wrested from the savages and from those parasites who for years had hung around the necks of the red men this day was the happiest of colonel zane's life the task he had set himself and which he had hardly ever hoped to see completed was ended the west had been won. What Boone achieved in Kentucky, he had accomplished in Ohio and West Virginia. The feast was spread on the Colonel's lawn. Every man, woman, and child in the settlement was there. Isaac Zane, with his Indian wife and child, had come from the far-off Huron town. Pioneers from Yellow Creek and eastward to Fort Pitt attended. The spirit of the occasion manifested itself in such joyousness as had never before been experienced in Fort Henry. The great feast was equal to the event. Choice cuts of beef and venison, savory viands, wonderful loaves of bread, and great plump pies, sweet cider, and old wine delighted the merry party. "'Friends, neighbors, dear ones,' said Colonel Zane. "'My heart is almost too full for speech. This occasion, commemorating the day of our freedom on the border. Is the beginning of the reward for stern labor, hardship, silenced hearths of long, relentless years. I did not think I'd live to see it. The seed we have sown has taken root in years to come. Perhaps the great people will grow up on these farms we call our homes, and as we hope those coming afterward will remember us, we should stop a moment to think of the heroes who have gone before many there are whose names will never be written on the roll of fame whose graves will be unmarked in history but we who worked fought bled beside them who saw them die for those they left behind will render them all justice honor and love to them we give the victory they were true then let us who begin to enjoy the freedom happiness and prosperity they won with their lives Likewise, be true in memory of them, indeed to ourselves, and in grace to God. By no means the least of the pleasant features of this pleasant day was the fact that three couples blushingly presented themselves before the colonel, and confided to him their sudden conclusions in regard to the felicitous of the moment. The happy colonel raced around until he discovered Jim Downes, the minister, and there amid the merry throng, he gave the brides away, being the first to kiss them. It was late in the afternoon when the villagers dispersed to their homes and left the colonel to his own circle. With his strong, dark face beaming, he mounted the old porch step. "'Where are my Zane babies?' he asked. "'Ah, here you are. Did anybody ever see anything to beat that? Four wonderful babies. Mother, here's your Daniel. If you'd only named him Eb. Silas?' Come for Silas, Jr., bad boy that he is. Isaac, take your Indian princess, ah, little Maria, with the dusky face. Woe be it to him who looks into those eyes when you come to age. Jack, here's little Jonathan, the last of the bordermen. He, too, has beautiful eyes like his mother's. Ah, well, I don't believe I have left a wish. Unless, unless, suggested Betty with a sweet smile. It might be, he said and looked at her. Betty's warm cheek was close to his as she whispered, Dear Eb, the rest only the colonel heard. Well, by all that's glorious, he exclaimed, and attempted to seize her. But with burning face Betty fled. Jack, dear, how the leaves are falling exclaimed Helen. See them floating and whirling reminds me the day I lay a prisoner in the forest glade praying, waiting for you. The borderman was silent. They passed down the sandy lane under the colored maple trees to a new cottage on the hillside. "'I am perfectly happy today,' continued Ellen. "'Everybody seems to be content, except you. For the first time in weeks I see that shade on your face, that look in your eyes. Jack, you do not regret the new life.' "'My love?' "'No, a thousand times no,' he answered.' smiling down into her eyes they were changing shadowing with thought bright as in other days and with an added beauty the willful spirit had been softened by love ah i know you missed the old friend the yellow thicket on the slope opened to let out a tall dark man who came down with lithe and springy stride jack it's wetzel said helen softly no words were spoken as the comrades gripped hands let me see the boy asked wetzel turning to helen little jonathan blinked up at the grave borderman with great round eyes and pulled with friendly chubby fingers at the fringed buckskin coat when you're a man the forest trails will be cornfields muttered wetzel the bordermen strolled together up the brown hillside and wandered along the river bluff the air was cool in the west the ruddy light darkened behind bold hills, a blue mist streaming in the valley shaded into gray as twilight fell. End of Chapter twenty five Recording by Mike Vendetti Mike Vendetti dot com
1: End of the Last Trail by Zane Grey